0: Good morning. Here we go, number one. Uh, I have eagerly awaited, in the words of the Apostle Paul, to be with you in this way. I want to thank you, first of all, those who came the other night. The other night was a wonderful night uh, of induction for Priscilla and I. We felt very affirmed and take very seriously the things that we uh, covenanted together uh, on that night. We are going to be moving through the next couple of months, um, a new series um, that will take us uh, to December, uh, really looking at the, the church uh, and the gospel, the gospel and the church, the, the what and the why and the dimensions of that, uh, that we're about as the people of God. Uh, so we're going to be exploring aspects of the gospel uh, and of the church together and that will take us through till uh, December, where of course we'll start focusing in on uh, Christmas and the Lord Jesus. Our passage today, or two passages, um, are fascinating. They both speak of Jesus being uh, lifted up. This curious verse is there, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And then Jesus, at the second time, says, "Uh, if I be lifted up, uh, I will draw all people to myself, this particular episode that is uh, to which he's referring—Moses and the snake being lifted up—you may or may not be familiar. It's a story from Numbers twenty-one uh, in the Old Testament, and it's an encounter where the people of God are being led by Moses uh, in that time before they reach the Promised Land, and they're beginning to grumble, they're whinging, uh, and um, as occurs all the way through the, the Old Testament. Um, these encounters happen where God reveals again and again to His people the kind of God that He is and calls out of them the kind of people that He's calling them to become. And on this particular occasion, uh, in the midst of their whinging and complaining, uh, He brings amongst them a whole range of snakes, and um, in a sense, there's a sense by which he's putting amongst them physically the way that they're kind of behaving to one another. And uh, they don't like this, obviously, uh, and they, they freak out, it gets their attention, and they go to Moses and they say, what are you going to do about the snakes? And Moses comes to God and says, God, what are you going to do? And of course, God provides a way. And the way that God provides is He says, I want you to to fasten and create really a brass snake and attach it to a pole and I want you to lift it up and anyone who has been bitten by a snake uh, or, or is worried about the snake, they need to look to the pole and they will be made well. Now, this is a very brief little story, but it's become quite legendary. In fact, there's aspects of it in other cultural histories too. But you'll know that there are some health organisations even today that have the pole and have the snake as their symbol. You'll see that from time to time. And that draws upon this particular narrative. If you want to find healing, then you look. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can take. There's nothing you can earn. You just need to look and live. And the people of God are very familiar with this. In fact, this becomes a really quite legendary story amongst them. We won't go into it now, but a thousand years later, when uh, King Hezekiah is trying to bring righteousness back to Judah, uh, he goes in and cleans the temple, and he finds this pole with the brass snake on it, but he finds that people are worshipping it now. They've started to venerate this thing after a thousand years, so he smashes it. He says, this mere snake, get rid of it, you're supposed to be worshipping God. Um, They'd made an idol out of this means of grace that God had given them. So they're very aware of it. And then when another thousand years or a couple of thousand years on, Jesus is standing there and he says, just like Moses lifting up this snake in the desert... Uh, so must the Son of Man, the Son of Man is His name for Himself, He's saying Me, so I will be lifted up. And what He's saying there essentially is, I'm going to be crucified. Just as your sickness was nailed to a pole and you looked at it for salvation, so your sin is going to be nailed to a cross in Me. And I'll be lifted up, ironically at the lowest point. Uh, and, and just as you looked to the snake and lived, uh, so you'll be able to look to me, nailed to a cross, and live. And this word, this lifted up, is is used, it, it certainly alludes to three things with Jesus at this particular point. One is he's going to be lifted up on the cross in front of them and die for their sin, but then God is going to lift him up from the grave uh, in resurrection, and then thirdly, he will be lifted up, because the word lifted up also means exalted, he will be lifted up, uh, ascended to heaven with the Father. And so when we look at this particular phrase, Jesus is saying, uh, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Those three things are there, I will be lifted up on the cross. I will be lifted up out of the grave, and I will be lifted up uh, in the ascension. And all of that background and context uh, sits there in this brief little passage. And so I want to give three points this morning, as and these have sat on my heart actually for quite a while for us as a congregation uh, moving forward. I want to offer three points of inspiration and encouragement to us, that we are called to lift up our eyes, and to lift up our hearts, and to lift up Jesus. Friends, lift up your eyes, lift up your hearts, and let's lift up Jesus. You know, years ago, uh, I was out in the outback uh, on a trip with some friends, and um, It's amazing when you get out to the real outback, the centre of Australia, how the dirt turns to red. It's really red. Um, And I was captured by the red dirt and how it's really red, not brown, but evocatively so. And we arrived at the camping site uh, in the middle of um, our country and uh, went to sleep uh, in the swags, you know, in the dirt, and um, I was a bit self-conscious about that because you just don't know what's going to be creeping around uh, in the dirt. But I slept in the swag and you zip it up and it's just fantastic. And then you wake up in the morning and open it up and it's just beautiful. And I got up one morning... The first morning, uh, and went wandering around, and went looking through the packing stuff, looking for a coffee, um, and and then I thought I'd go for a bit of a stroll. You know, everyone was still asleep, and I, I went for a bit of a walk amongst the spinifex and over this way. But all the time looking down, I don't want to step on a dingo, you know, I don't want to step on something a little bit insidious. And I walked for a while, drinking my coffee, strolling around and so forth, uh, and then I stopped for a bit, and I lifted my eyes. And there was, I think, one of the most beautiful sights in the entire world, Uluru. It was, it was right there. And I tell you, forget climbing on it, looking at it is the game. It's the most beautiful thing. And I tell you, for the next few days, I couldn't stop looking at this beautiful, beautiful rock in the middle of our country. And we walked around it and, and, just, and I just I couldn't take my eyes off it just a couple of years ago, um, Syl and I were in Paris. Uh, we came over on the train with some friends from London um, and arrived at night time through the Channel and um, made our way through uh, the back streets to the hotel in the dark and found our hotel and went off to our room uh, and um, and went to sleep. The next morning we woke up, it's always a good morning when you wake up in Paris, isn't it? But again, the first thing on my mind, like in the centre of it, was coffee, we need some coffee. <laughs> but I could hear um, my friend Matt, Matt and Esther, friends of ours, were travelling with us, and, and they were already up, Matt was calling out from the street. So I went over, you know, in our little sort of hotel, and I opened the, the, the window and, and looked down, and there's Matt. Uh, and he had a coffee. <laughs> And I was looking down, I was going, oh, coffee, fantastic. He's going, come on, time to get up, let's go. And I said, you've got a coffee, this is fantastic, and so forth. And he goes, forget a coffee, look at that. And I lifted my eyes, and there I saw, uh, in terms of the man-made world, (laughs) the human hands, the most beautiful sight that you can ever see, the Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, suddenly, coffee was not irrelevant, but lower in my thoughts. And for the next few days, it didn't matter where I drank coffee as long as I could see this beautiful Eiffel Tower. It just captures the landscape. You lift up your eyes, and else, here I am. I'm thinking, here I am focused on coffee. My goodness me, there's something amazing ahead. You know, time and again in life, we, we, we can be captured by the detail of the thing in front of us. You know, we have been, as a church, through a period a bit like that. And, and that's perfectly understandable. Where we've wanted to look at the details because the bigger vision has just seemed like it's irrelevant. We, we need to get a few things in place. We need to find a minister. We need to see what's going on here. We need to get things sorted out over here. And we've been looking down and going through detail. We've been focused on the internals. Friends, I want to encourage you now to lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. We can be focused on the coffee or the coffee machine, but I want you to lift up your eyes. There is an Eiffel Tower, there is a mission, there is an enormous possibility and future for us. I've been reading through again the history of this congregation. And it's, it's wonderful and it's marvellous and inspiring. Uh, the times when there are 400 people coming to church and 400 kids in the Sunday school and it's just incredible times. Friends, we have not yet lived the best years of Malvern Uniting. I really believe that. And Syl and I, when we were feeling and discerning about us as a, a church and whether to take this role and that's what God was calling us, there's part of us that we're itching to come and be all in because we see the possibilities and the potential of the heart of us as a community, the spirit that I know that is amongst us. But friends, around about us uh, is a vast community. And I look around from all the way from Fullerton Road and down across to Goodwood and all the way back up here. This is just the immediate area up to Godra and all the way through to the city. My goodness me, we have an increasingly uh, changing um, and increasingly densing area But I tell you, we do not have many strong churches. We have a vast mission field. And so many of us go from beyond that. Folks come from right down south. I mean, we're from from even further south than that. And all the way out north and Salisbury, through the relationships that we have, our city as a whole needs strong churches, genuine churches, marvellous churches who are sold out, not consumed just with what's in front of us, who takes care of the details, but who has a vision that is bigger. Friends, I want to encourage you, let's lift up our eyes, let's look to the future, not just the past, not just the things in front of us, but lift up our eyes and look ahead at what might be possible. I don't just want us to lift up our eyes, I want to encourage you though as well uh, to lift up your hearts. There's a sense by which of, I think the opposite of, um, of joy is, is not sadness, actually. Um, it's, it's hopelessness. We're going to feel sadness in our life, but that doesn't replace the joy in our life. And friends, I want us to be a community that has the joy at its heart. I want, to, I want this for two reasons. One is because it's at the heart of the gospel... Uh, and of mission. Uh, the famous missionary and theologian uh, Leslie Newbegin uh, said that mission begins with an explosion of joy. Uh, we don't have to feel a deep, overriding, legalistic compulsion to be about God's mission. It just explodes when we capture and tap into the joy uh, of the gospel. And friends, I want us to be tapping in and feasting into the joy of the gospel, so that's the first reason. The second reason is because, I tell you, I, I need that. I need to have a lot of fun and I want to have a lot of fun. And Viv and I were talking the other night about how we were laughing the other night and I tell you, a laughing community and a joyful community is a genuine community and it's a magnetic community. Let me give you a sense of the joy and of, of, of what I'm talking about. I, I didn't. I wasn't going to use this illustration, but I'm going to use it. Cast your mind back uh, two grand finals ago. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm on. I'm on dangerous ground here. But I don't feel the least bit ashamed about uh, Richmond winning the premiership in 2017. And I'm unashamed to celebrate it because you've all had two premierships. Well, those of you that are Crows supporters. <laughs> but those of you that are Port supporters have had one as well. I'm a Richmond supporter, right? I grew up in country Victoria. And I tell you, in the 80s, it was a hard slog. We got smashed again and again, week after week after week. And, uh, and, and year after year we didn't make the finals, we got smashed, we got absolutely hammered and it was despairing and difficult to keep the faith during those years. So in 2003 we made a prelim and it was like oh my goodness and then it was a false dawn, it fell away and so in 2017 when we made the grand final uh I was I was full of hope, but I tell you it was it was I was so anxious, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and so when all the way through the game what was happening when we finally won the grand final beating the crows, I'm sorry. I wept. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to tell you. <laughs> I lay in my wife's arms and I wept. <laughs> There it was, it, it was, was a relief, right? It was a relief. There was joy, but it was more like the absence of anxiety. It was a breaking of the, of, 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 um, uh, of the night. It was a new day. I couldn't believe it. But I tell you, in the years since, even though last year we didn't go so well, this year, you know, last week, it was joy. I tell, I tell you why it was joy... It was joy because I didn't mean to talk about the football this much, but I go. It's, it's, it's 160 days till the season starts again. Okay, so it was a joy because the anxiety was gone. It was like we've won the victory. Yeah, we won a premiership. We've got one in the bank, and then you know that they're performing with such strength that there's a calm confidence that's there. Right. It's not all going to fall apart because something is assured. And because something is assured, it was everything doesn't hang on it, which means I could just relax and enjoy it. And even though I was crook as a dog on the couch watching it, I was enjoying it. I was filled with joy as we absolutely smashed the GWS into the ground. <laughs> And the joy was there and the revel in it and the celebration because there was a calm and wonderful, joyous sense of, oh, this is, I could savor that was going on. There was no hopelessness or even fear of hopelessness. It It was joyous. And let me tell you something, there's something of that in the kingdom of God, there's certainly something of that in the heart of the gospel and we need to tap into that. I'm not talking about being pretending to be happy all the time, I'm not talking about pretending to be joyful all the time, I'm talking about that even when we cry together and we grieve together, there is a calm confidence in the fact that we have a premiership in the bag because of what the Lord Jesus has done. So I want you to lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts that we might do this together and that we might be this kind of rich community together. Third thing I want to say is this. Let's lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Friends, we dare not lift up anything else. Let us not lift up the Uniting Church. Let us not lift up Malvin Uniting Church. Let us not, God forbid, lift up Tim and Sill. You lift up Tim and Sill and we will let you down. We are fellow sinners who have the joy and the gratitude of the gospel. We have a leadership role amongst you, but my friends, we are not your Messiah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, no. Broman's going, I know, I know, <laughs> you don't have to tell us that. Friends, we lift up Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me tell you something, just a little bit about this, in terms of how this works In the preaching, because we're going to get to know each other. We're going to spend a lot of time together in in this way. When I'm coming to to prepare through the week, and I prepare a couple of weeks in advance and are working on a couple of sermons at once, preparing, I'm thinking about not just you or what's going to be an impressive sermon or an eloquent sermon. The novelty of those things fell away 20 years ago. I am interested in what is going to be a gospel oriented sermon. How can we lift up Jesus? A good sermon is one where you are not aware of me, you are aware of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will be focused in every way that I possibly can uh, on preaching to your friends and your family members and your co workers who you bring to church. There will be plenty in it for you, don't worry about that. They will not just be thin, they will be deep and they will be thoughtful, but all of my energy is going into. If you bring along a friend and a family member or a co-worker, you will be glad you did. And if you don't bring them along, you'll wish you had. Now, I know that is a risk to do. To invite people that I have invested relationships with at work and at different places, to say, I want you to come along to church or to relate with them in a way where I invite them along to church is a risk. It's a relational risk. Because I tell you, if it doesn't go well, or something's not right, or it's all internal, then you feel like you've lost face. So I know that that is going to take some time, that trust to build up. It'll take some time for you to hear Tim preach, and for us to, as we move and nuance the services and what we do to build up a level of trust where you know it's not going to be something where you go, oh my goodness, you can't believe he said that. And I'll let you down sometimes, but I want to tell you, that's my focus. I'm looking to present the gospel in a way that your most cynical relative, friend, co-worker, if they do end up, end up actually saying yes and coming along to church, at the very least will sit there and nod their head and go, well, I don't know if I believe yet, but that that makes some sense. That's the most important thing that we're doing and that's the most important thing that I can do for you in terms of this place and this time on a Sunday. It will take time, but if you bring them, you'll be glad you did. And I will be available after the service every week to answer questions, particularly for those. We have elders in terms of pastoral stuff and sillies around the place, but in terms of question and answer for those who are intrigued about the gospel, we might organise it in a particular way here or next door, but that's my focus. I will sit all day and talk to your friend if they want to know more about Jesus. That is my clear focus. We're going to lift up Jesus, we're not going to lift up anything else, because that is the most important thing. And the most wonderful thing, of course, of all, is the fact that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. No mission strategy and no impressive line or no song will do what the gospel of Jesus Christ will do. C.S. Lewis says it says it's easy to think that the church has a lot of different purposes maybe education or building or fellowship or missions or holding services in the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw people to Christ to make them little Christs if you will. And if we are not doing that, then all the cathedrals and all the clergy and all the missions and all the sermons and even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. There is even any doubt that God made man for no other purpose. And it's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. This is the Lord's great focus, who loves this world and died for this world and gave his son for this world. And friend, I am all in with that and I want you to be all in with that with me uh, as well. But let me remind you, this is not a task. This is not some sort of deep lawful obligation, actually. We do not need to lift Jesus up as if somehow lifting ourselves up by our bootstraps and lifting up Jesus is some slavish task. Because friends, all we are doing is joining in with something that God has already done. For the Father has lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not for us to make Jesus' name the name above every other name, for the Father has done this for us. Philippians 2 says, therefore, because God, Jesus humbled himself, God has exalted him and placed him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. When I say lift up your eyes and lift up your hearts and let's lift up Jesus, what we are doing is gazing upon what God has already done for us. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to die for us. That he, like Moses lifting up a snake in the desert, would be lifted up. That our sin would be there and that we could look and live When we come and worship together and gather and fellowship and glorify God, when we talk about lifting up the name of Jesus, friends, all we are doing is imitating and joining in in a small way with something that is already happening in the presence of God. Revelation 21 tells us, There I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And looking, I saw a holy city and a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I saw a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Look, I am making everything new. Write this down. And he said to me, It's done. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. Friends, the Lord Jesus has already been lifted up. The Father has lifted him up. He became human that humans might become like God. And he has been lifted up and placed in heavenly places. And all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And we are in him and he is there. Lift up your eyes, folks, all of heaven's in worship. We do not need to strive. We do not need need to push. Mission begins with the explosion of joy, the great relief that it is done. The Son of Man has been lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross and your sin was placed there. He was lifted up from the grave in resurrection and he has been lifted up and seats in the holy place. And all of heaven bows before Him and worships Him. They glory before Him. And angels rejoice and the clouds will be filled with the wonder of His name. The name that is above every name. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your hearts. And lift up, the Father has lifted up Jesus. Look at Him. Just look at him. You can't do anything. Just look at him and live.